0: Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to gather as family, to be encouraged as family, to hope in heaven. Lord, give us hope this evening so that we may live for your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of your kingdom. Amen. Outside of cell phone range, quiet cabin, family, few friends, small but sufficient library, warm, good, fresh food, a sun deck and a hammock in the shade, a restaurant so Donna doesn't have to cook every, every meal, nearby but not too near, excellent chile verde is an absolute must, and of course, Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and fried okra got to be on the menu as well. A lake that is large enough to need a small boat, but not so big that anybody else wants to be there. Of course, the lake's got to be well stocked with several species of trout and, you know, some sunfish near the surface. Several small streams are going to always be feeding into this lake and at least one larger trout stream goes into it as well. Of course there would be plentiful supply of various game and non-game animals. There will be hiking trails and there'll be waterfalls and all the necessities that you'll need like good hiking boots and you know fishing and hunting equipment and all the supplies that you need will be in regular supply again close but not too close if dachau was a vision of hell on earth this is my little vision of heaven on earth i have hope Anthony Hoekema said in his redemptive activity, God does not dr- destroy the works of his hands, but cleanses them from sin and perfects them so that they may finally reach the goal for which he created them. Applied to the problem at hand, this principle means that the new earth to which we look forward will not be totally different from the present one, but will be a renewal and a glorification of the earth on which we now live that tells me 10-pound trout every day. Of course, I've never caught a (laughs) 10-pound trout, and that's probably what my wife is doing secretly right now. (laughs) Last week, we talked about hell. And I compared for us a little bit that we know about hell about heaven from the Bible, we know quite a bit more. I suggested that part of the reason for this may be because hell is not made for us. It is not our natural abode. Kind of like Pastor Benji was talking about this morning, God's natural default disposition is love. And so, I take it that Hell was made for Satan and his cohorts, and humans are only cast into hell as a last resort, as into the garbage dump, or the quarantine zone, so to speak, for those who will not be found. Heaven, on the other hand, is what God made for those who love and are loved. We said last week, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Rudom likewise says, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known His presence to bless. Now, heaven is a word that is frequently misunderstood by those who are even regular churchgoers. The first thing that we wrongly call heaven is what theologians call the intermediate state where are those who have died in Christ up to this point now well they are with Christ and so we say they are with in heaven. Now, this is true, they are with Christ, but it is most appropriately called the intermediate state because they have not yet been reunited with their glorified bodies and we have not yet reached the eternal state. Now, another thing that is sometimes mistaken as heaven is what is known as the millennium. And there are many Christians who believe that the millennium is what is going to come next in terms of when Jesus Returns A thousand year reign with Christ on the earth that will be a time of unparalleled blessings of God's people as they, re, they, as they rule over the nations. But this isn't heaven either. And we know for several reasons, not least of which, at the end of this thousand year reign, there is going to be a major rebellion. And sin is obviously present during this, this millennium. And so it can't be... Heaven yet. What Christians properly call heaven is also called the final state or the eternal state. And in this eternal state, there will be those who are cast into the burning pit, which will be hell. And there are those who are brought into the glorious, direct presence of God who wants to show Himself as one who loves and wants to be loved. Hell is the quarantine zone for those who refuse to be loved so that they cannot mess it up for those who are in heaven. Now last week we made another distinction. We said quite far away from wrath, God's wrath being some Spiteful temper tantrum that He throws. God's wrath is His settled opposition to all sin. It's a settled. It's not, it's not some temper tantrum. And it's not spiteful. It's just this opposition to sin because sin is what separates His beloved creation from Him. And so He's going to destroy everything that separates His beloved creation. Creation in His image from Himself. Now God's grace, on the other hand, is His goodness towards those who only deserve His wrath. God's goodness. His willingness to be what those who deserve only His wrath absolutely need. Our Savior. The One who vindicates those who put our trust in Him and I like what another preacher said, grace means God is at work. Grace means God is actively doing something for those who trust His promises. Now, we know so much more about heaven than hell. Oh, and by the way, don't let anyone tell you we can't possibly imagine what heaven will be like. If people speak dribble like that no it's because they don't read their bible because we know quite a bit about heaven we know far more as i said before about heaven than we do about hell now do we have a comprehensive picture about it well no we don't and are there aspects that are just going to blow us oh yes gloriously yes we could spend a whole series on the topic of heaven. But alas, I only have one week, so here we go. And so I want to take, take on the most important aspect of heaven. Oh, I didn't bring Randy Alcorn's book. How many of you guys have seen Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven? If you ever want a good read, I, I meant to bring my copy to show it to you all. Uh, write this down. If you want to read a good book about heaven, Randy Alcorn is called Heaven. There you go. There's my... But the question then is, what is most important about heaven? Well, this actually needs a two-step answer. The first thing is, what's the most important thing to know about heaven? What is it? How to get there. Right? It's the most important thing to know about heaven. You could be wrong about everything else, but if you know how to get there, there you go. But when we get to heaven, what will we find? What will be the most important thing? Will it be quiet small little cabins beside a lake with lots of 10-pound trout? No, in that small cack? What is the most important thing about heaven? Jesus. I have an extended Piper quote, so bear with me here. John Piper says in his book, God is the Gospel. My point in this book is that all the saving events and all the saving blessings of the Gospel are means of getting obstacles out of the way so that we might know and enjoy God most fully. Propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputation, sanctification, liberation, healing, heaven. None of these things is good news except for one reason they bring us to God for our everlasting enjoyment of him if we believe all these things have happened to us but do not embrace them for the sake of getting to God they have not happened to us Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring him and in people Who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. God is the gospel God Himself is the good news. And the question about how to get to heaven must lead us to the answer fall in love with the biblical Jesus. Love the biblical Jesus because He will be the most important attraction in heaven. Jesus' best friend, John, said as much in Revelation 21. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. In unmistakable language, Jesus' friend John declares that the most important person in heaven is the one who gives heaven its purpose. He is the temple. He is the one who gives heaven its light. The sun and moon won't be needed there. He is the one who gives heaven its security. And He is the one to whom everyone will bring their 10-pound trout. Because gold there is just going to be cobblestone. Who needs it? In fact... I intentionally left Jesus out of my opening illustration because I wanted to draw this picture of my quote unquote earthly heaven to show how sinful I can be. In my little narrow view of what my heaven will be, I I can't even get for me a comprehensive view of heaven, let alone what you would want to see there. But this I know. This I know. Whether we're fishing and hunting in heaven or not, we will be pursuing Jesus and we will be doing it on the earth and everything on the earth will be renewed, it will be cleansed, it will be purified, it will be magnified to magnify the Father in heaven. Catching great big trout forever would be a poor substitute for a relationship with the greatest, wisest, most loving, most glorious person in the universe. Now let me reiterate. I believe that heaven is going to be on Earth, or at least it will be a recognized as Earth better than it was. And I believe that there will be significant changes. For example, I'm pretty sure there's not, unfortunately, going to be elk hunting in heaven. So doing it now is still on my bucket list. But ironically, if golf is your thing, or swimming, or visiting the Grand Canyon, you are fine to be patient for, to wait for an even grander canyon and an even grander greens because I think golf will be there. But let's go through one of the best passages in my mind for clarifying what heaven will be like. I chose one of the best passages in heaven that I know because it helps us understand the blessings in contrast to the curses we saw last week now some of you are going to recognize this as a passage on the millennium i want you to understand tonight that we're talking about heaven because even if this is about the millennium and there's aspects of it even if that's true heaven is going to be even better right and so this is giving us just that glimpse, that, that idea, even though it's not yet comprehensive. So let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 65. Start reading at verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I rejoice, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed." They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. That, my friends, is what is in your future if you trust the promises of God for you in Christ. And you can hope in heaven. But let's remember quickly some of the curses that we saw last week. Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 25 of rejection. He says, "Truly I say to you, I do not know you." He talked about defeat. Cast the worthless servant to the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus spoke of wrath. He said, "And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life." Now, almost like, you know, the same author put these together. You know, it's kind of one of those coincidences. It's almost like the same author wrote these two passages to parallel them. Isaiah focuses here on three blessings of heaven. Unbridled joy in 18-20. to 20, Unparalleled security in 21-23. to 23, And unshadowed shalom. In verses 24 and 25. Unmistakably glorious and unimpeachably perfect. You, my brothers and sisters, must rejoice in this blessing. I need an amen. Amen. This is an amening sermon. You have my permission already. In fact, all my sermons are amening, by the way. I was amening this morning. Anybody else amening this morning? I was. Praise Jesus. Okay. So tonight we're going to briefly rehearse these promises so that we will know and therefore trust them that no matter what happens on this earth, you can hope in heaven. So let's break it down. Starting in verse 17, Yahweh will recreate. And in recreating, He will destroy the effects of this sinful order. He says, for behold, look, see, pay attention. Pay attention. I'm doing something here and I want you to catch it. What is it, Yahweh? I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now note, I create. He will do it. He will do it. He will do it. And He will do it. That is a promise. Now, what former things? What are you talking about, Yahweh? Well, in the first half of uh, Isaiah chapter 65, verses 1 to 16, there is one significant division that keeps ping ponging back and forth in those verses. And it's this division among human beings. Those who call upon Yahweh and those who do not. Those who come to Yahweh and those who do not. Those who serve Yahweh and those who do not. Those who seek Yahweh and those who forsake Yahweh. Those who hear Yahweh and those who refuse. And we got this back and forth, going back and forth. And what he's saying is, it's gone. The back and forth is gone. Now, there are only those who seek Him. And the key word of Isaiah 65, 1-16 is servant. You who are willing to serve Yahweh will find that your life has not been futile. Because your labor, your love, will not be eaten by Pastor Benji put a really cool image in my mind this this last week. The sheep dung idols that we worship. The idols that are as worthless and as detestable as sheep dung. You are only subject, you are only available to the blessings of 17 to 25 insofar as you are willing to bend your knees and raise your eyes and hands to the one who hears your Psalm 123 prayer. Something else to note in verse 17 the former things do not come to mind. I love this because you know what that means? Pfft, I don't have time to bother with all that stuff. I'm having such a great time. Woohoo! This is awesome, because I'm going to be catching fish. I don't know what y'all will be doing. But listen, we are going to be so enjoying ourselves and our Lord that we can't be bothered. But you know what's even better than that? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but how many of us have Christians... Who we would just as soon not see again until we're in heaven. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but are there Christians that you would just as soon, yeah, you know, I don't want to see you again until, you know, we're a couple thousand years into heaven? You won't remember, it'll be gone. So why not just let it go now? Why not just get on with your life now so that you can be that much closer to experiencing that fullness of grace that God has in store for those who hope in heaven? Hope in heaven means at least that you allow your hearts not to dwell on past hurts and harms that your fellow travelers have done to you Or with you. But instead, hoping in heaven means that you hope that they are there with you as well. Because when you hope that that brother or sister or non-believer is with you in heaven, that is the surest sign that you are on the road to get there yourself. So Yahweh will recreate but then Yahweh will also cause unbridled joy in the hearts of His servants. We pick up at verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a, glad, a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in My people. No more shall they shall be heard in it a sound of weeping and the sound of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man that does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinners a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now, Yahweh, through His prophet Isaiah, assures us, of the blessing of joy. That feeling that you have when your four-year-old just smiles at you and gives you this cute little kiss. That feeling that you have when a friend comes to Christ. That feeling that you have when you just rejoice because the Lord opens Himself to you. And you see for that moment A glimpse of heaven. Or that moment when you finally let your guard down and you humble yourself to your spouse and you love him or her the way they need it. That is just an echo of what we will have 24-7 in heaven. Now here, in these verses, he first describes our physical and emotional well-being in terms of positive terms and in negative terms. We will be happy because he will make it so. Now he is describing the blessing that in in positive terms, we will have this emotional and physical well-being. We will be happy because he will make it so. But then he also describes the blessing in negative terms. We will not be plagued by death. Death will be dead. He describes it in terms of a hypothetical situation in which some wicked person might die. But of course there won't be wicked people there. Therefore, something that seems to us to be extreme old age, a hundred years, a hundred years, is considered a cursed young age. Wow, that guy only made it to 100? He must have been wicked. Death, and the physical symptoms of death, like arthritis in your hand, or tinnitus in your ears, and muscle loss, and fat gain, and all the evidences that our bodies are under a curse, shall be gone. Gone. Oh, happy day. Amen? Amen. Hope in heaven. Is your joy sometimes stolen because of what you can no longer do? Hope in heaven. When you hope in heaven, it means at least that you don't allow your heart to be overwhelmed by regret that you cannot do what you used to do. You allow the progression of age and illness, fighting as much as is reasonable, you allow this progression to move you into other stages of life that you may find richer in different ways. And you can rejoice because you know that this stage will come to an end as well. So Yahweh will bring unbridled joy to the hearts of His people. And Yahweh will bless the labor of His servants, starting in verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of My people." My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Security. Safety. I hate keys. I hate them so much I took them out of my pockets before I came up here. I hate locks. I hate that there is any need for any kind of firearm that is designed to kill people, to kill your fellow travelers on the road to eternity. And one day, all of them will be unneeded, and they will all be beaten into plowshares. Why? Why will you get rid of all this important stuff? Because no one's going to steal your stuff. Because no one will just try to destroy what you have worked hard for notice by the way this is this verse about heaven implicitly commends the reality of personal property even in the new kingdom we won't go there but furthermore god recognizes the need for security he recognizes the need for you to enjoy your labor and the fruits Of your labor. And a large part of the futility of the life we are now living is that we don't get to enjoy this, we don't get to experience the enjoyment of our labor and the fruits of our labor for a whole host of reasons. People try to steal it, we lose it, we do something stupid to destroy it, or we're just so distracted by every shiny thing that's around us that we forget to rejoice in what He has done in us and through us. So, the answer to this problem is hope in heaven. To hope in heaven, at a minimum, means that you are willing to labor accepting ahead of time that some of it will be lost. Some of your labor will be lost in this sin-sick world that we now live in. And you know what? It's okay. Mom, do you tire of dishes and clothes that never seem to end? Hope in heaven. Dad, do you complain about another broken thing to fix? Hope in heaven because even these seemingly futile things that you do you will find in the end that the lord will make it that your labor is not in vain hope in heaven and lastly and i think most importantly yahweh will give unmitigated presence to him and will allow none of his servants to be harmed verse 24 I love this before they call I will answer this is amazing how much this morning's sermon and this sermon are overlapping This, this truly is before they call I will answer. While they are yet speaking I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Here it is. What is the best part of heaven? Elk hunts big trout? Now, I'm honest here. I really hope that we get that in heaven. I'm, I'm pulling for it, you know. But is that the best that heaven has the offer? Not by a long shot. It's, it's, it's so far down the list that you have to go and read the fine print. But hey, then we'll have good eyes. We'll be able to do that. <laughs> Jesus. You're... You're going to be in heaven. A hundred years from now, at the farthest, all of us are most likely going to be in heaven. For some of us, it be, might be a little bit sooner than that. But you're going to be sitting there. You're going to be doing whatever you're doing. And the thought's going to pop into your mind. Hey, Jesus, what about... Oh, hi, Jesus. How you doing? Before you even start to call out on Him, He will be there. What does that look like? I have no idea. I don't know what that means. But he says it, so I believe it, right? At the moment, this is not true. I have not lost as many people as most of you in this room have. But I have had the experience all too often. Oh, wait, I want to call. Oh. Oh. I can't call. There's no one to answer the phone. Know what I mean? Anybody here know what I mean? That's one of the bad aspects of this world. It's not going to be true, especially with Jesus when we get there. Now, some of my favorite people are going to be so much closer to the throne than I am, I'm going to have to call them. You start to think, yep, what do you need? I'm here. I love that. I love that. That is such a wonderful promise from your Savior for you. Hope in that. He goes on, animal kind will not destroy each other. Now, there's a debate about the line in verse 25, dust shall be the serpent's food. Is this line referring to Satan that he'll be eating dust, kind of like we talk about people pushing up daisies? That is a possibility. That might be what's going on here. Or it might just be a promise about snakes. By the way, my wife takes it as her God-given right to hate snakes because Genesis 3 gives her permission to do so. So we've never had snakes in our house that she knows of. But this might be a promise that snakes will be gentle in heaven and, you know, she might have a snake farm wherever she lives far closer to Jesus than she lives to me, that's for sure. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one. But I know that the promise is that we won't need to fear animals anymore. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, will be a happy song. It will be a happy song for those who hope in heaven. Hope in heaven, once again, means at least that we can hope that nature as we know it, will be redeemed. Hope in heaven means at least that we will have unfettered access to the author of nature anytime we wish. Hope in heaven means that this earth that we live on will be even better. Even better than the mountains and streams and lakes of the Rockies. And I for one, am very excited to see many of you who are sitting here will be in such much better shape than you are now that we're going to be challenging each other to race a marathon or two or best out of three in a day. <laughs> Hope in heaven. Hope in heaven. Oh my friends, one day We will close our eyes and we will no longer see by faith, but we will see by sight. Oh, one day we will breathe our last of the sin-sick air and breathe joy. Oh, one day we will drink our last of the putrid sludge of our sinful lust, and we will finally drowned in the life-giving waters flowing from beneath the throne. Oh, one day. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Lord, redeem Your people so that we will be redeemed and we will rejoice forever with those who are singing around your throne and casting our crowns before you lord enable us today to hope in that heaven so that we can live for your glory for our joy and for the growth of your kingdom in jesus name amen